<laughs> oh, welcome we to Freightonomics, everybody. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence, here with chief economist Anthony Smith, here to walk you through this what has become quite a tumultuous landscape with the freight and economic environment here. Uh, today, you know, not, not a lot has changed uh, mm-hmm. over the last week that we're talking about in terms of just economics and the freight market continuing to show signs of weakness uh, across the board now. Um, and I don't think there's anybody really disputing that at this point. Do you? No. And it's just really interesting how everyone is not saying they're jumping on board, but you know, now calling out the stuff that we've been talking about for so long. And, and this isn't going to be a, look, we were right thing. This is, no. this is something that I would be happy if we were wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I love, I love it. If I, I love it when I'm proven wrong for the betterment of society. <laughs> the only thing that gets me is uh, when people act like everyone saw this coming. Everyone was, yeah. you know, this is no surprise, but you know, that wasn't the case many months ago. But as you said, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see more layoffs. I don't want to see increases in unemployment, even though it's only slightly. (laughs) But there's very concerning trends that you mentioned, a lot of mixed bags and some macroeconomic uh, indicators, but really overall, not too much has changed since last week. Yeah. And this is not all doom and gloom. We still have we still have plenty of of juice left in this situation, I think. Uh, Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know. (laughs) I think that through. Uh, But you know, let's get things started with the uh, with a little quick market update into Anthony. Uh, let's do it. Set the table. Three, two, one, and we're going. All right. The first chart that we have up here is actually one that I didn't want to start with, but I didn't give him the order. Anyway, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> IOTI, the inbound ocean tea use volume. This is actually probably the best thing to start with in terms of supply chain because this is the furthest look upstream of shippers ordering goods. That white line that you're looking at right there, that is bookings. So that is stuff that is based on estimated time of departure from their origination ports across the world, across the globe. So most of our freight goods come from China, uh, so heavily influenced there. If you read uh, Greg Miller's article this week, you'll see that that actually has been taking a a step backward as well. But that green line is is what's hitting the ports. That's what's clearing customs, so a lag to that white line. And you can see now over the last couple of months, customs clearings are down quite a bit. Uh, and, it, and it looks like that trend is going to persist. Now, seasonally speaking, we do expect softness, but that's not been the case over the last two years. Let's go and see what chart we have next. <laughs> uh, moving forward here. Maybe we don't have one. Yeah, there we go. All right. <laughs> OTVI. This is the chart that I was going to, or not OTVI, this is the O-Rail volumes. This is domestic loaded container volumes. And you can see this has been relatively stable. This is domestic, international, and total, all showing a slight downward move, about 5 to 6% down over the last bit, year over year. This has been a sticking point, a stable demand side indicator. Let's go to the next one. So rail volumes down, domestic volumes down, and, and let's just finish it off with this uh, because I only have 20 seconds left. The NTI, the spot market rate index here, uh, showing a forecast as well over the next bit. Now pay attention to the blue line. That is the 28-day historical forecast trend. And you look at the white dotted line at the very end, that's the current trend. So it's actually revising down over the next 28 days as it's taking a lot of this demand side dipping into account. And you did it. Mm-hmm. You, you did a thing where they mentioned the movie 
in the movie, yeah. like the movie title. I, the I movie. broke the wall. You broke the wall. You <laughs> broke the wall. But the wall. all those indicators yeah. definitely showing that there's going to be much of the same and continued easing in the coming weeks expected. Yeah. And let's look at, let's go ahead. And now they, they have the OTVI pulled up. Let's go ahead and talk about this one real quick. So OTVI, our tender volume index, of course, based on truckload demand from shippers. So we looked at bookings. That's container import demand. This is the domestic freight market with truckload demand. And you can see a concerning stair step <laughs> to start the month of November there in the white line. And it's just not like there's just not a lot of reason to think that that trend is going to change heading into January. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and even December. And also one quick thing, if you see me looking down, that's because I am checking LinkedIn because we're streaming now at our new time, 1130 Eastern Standard Time in the morning. Um, so if you want to jump in on the conversation, have a question, a call out, something that you're seeing on your end, want to cancel Jack, whatever it might be, just jump in there on the comments as well. So we're watching that and monitoring that throughout the show. Yeah. So Anthony, I mean, uh, I think the story here is that every single, so I covered maritime, mm -hmm. trucking, rail, <laughs> all of them showing significant down ticks. Now, yeah. I, I guess relationally speaking, let's, let's set some context up a little bit. Just because it fell down doesn't mean that that's something that is like, oh, everything's over, right? Because mm -hmm. We're comparing it to an extremely overheated environment. Yeah, harder comps. I yeah. mean, even we're looking at things like, for example, macro side, mm -hmm. housing construction. We're seeing some significant downward movement. And in that downward movement, we are definitely seeing that there, we're going up against some tougher historical comps in comparison. Even though there is weakness going on, it shows that those comps are getting more difficult. Yeah, and I guess how, how should we think about this? I mean, I know that we had two years of what a lot of people would consider overheating. Right. How does that impact like an ec economic environment? So we, we knew that wasn't sustainable, the activity that we were seeing, the consumer demand. They could, they could only renovate their house for so long. Right. <laughs> you know, they could only buy so many computers. Um, people are starting to return to work uh, or go back to the office. We've heard Elon Musk trying to pull back all the mm -hmm. Twitter employees that are left <laughs> uh, into the office. This is also going to kind of close up some of that free time that a lot of people have been accustomed to. So how do we how do we normalize this? How do we look at this in the context of is this really a true recessionary state or is it really just a heading back to you know pre-pandemic life to an extent? Yeah, I think it's it's almost like a so I don't drink so I've never been drunk, but I would imagine almost like a hangover like all right, party's <laughs> over, you know, in a sense. And I think each, because you mentioned it, the pendulum is swinging and each kind of subsector in each industry. And we're going to see that continue to be the case. So if we're in the terms of employment, um, even though we're still seeing that there's over 10 million job openings, hiring has slowed down significantly and we're seeing the pendulum start to swing back. And so with that, we're seeing more stories about layoffs, things like that. The power, if we were looking at, like, you know, the pricing power, you know, if we're looking at that in the terms of consumers and, and uh, employers, employees, I should say, that's swinging back into the hands of the employees. And mm -hmm. so during that, the pandemic, you could say, hey, work remote, we don't care where you are, we're making all these concessions, we relocate you, whatever it might be. Now they're gonna be a little bit more selective, they're slowing down on hiring. You can have as many job openings as you want. If hiring is slowing down like it is now, doesn't mean as much. There's a lot of hesitancy in the market. The other big thing is um, we're seeing that, that kind of correction as well in housing. Even though there is a substantial amount of demand, we still haven't reached where we were before the Great Recession in 08 and 09. 
that pendulum is swinging indeed. We're seeing um, single family houses down, I think over 6% in this latest month, but that is meaning that there's likely gonna be an increase in the rental market, that kind of correction there. Not as many home buyers, now you're looking at maybe more for rental. Um, so I think there's gonna be these subtle corrections in each market individually. And um, Jerome Powell said it a few months ago, it will likely be a little bit painful. Yeah, so you kind of implied it here with what you were talking about. You said subtle, and and that to me implies like a soft landing. It feels oh, kind of no. smooth. But <laughs> what we're seeing in the transportation sector is anything but smooth. We're right. seeing sharp movements. Uh, do you see, you know, economically speaking, do you see the consumer getting the ability to have a soft landing? Or so I think the consumer has the ability, but I don't think they'll take that 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 <laughs> opportunity right. for the most part. Um, Clarify. So uh, the latest report that came out for household debt showed that it did indeed spike overall yeah. in third quarter, third quarter. Definitely going to be a lacking indicator yeah. on a quarterly basis. But we are seeing credit card spending and utilization increase on a month-to-month basis. And so we're seeing consumers in a tougher financial position as they're more extended financially. Now, the good news is if there is any, if we were to like draw a trend line as where we were before the pandemic to where we are now, we're not quite surpassed where we would have been. Um, most likely, if there was no pandemic and a sudden drop and stimulus, things like that. But non-revolving debt is still a very much significant thing. We're looking at uh, car notes, uh, mortgages, things like that, things that people pull forward. Sudden shakeups in the job market will leave people exposed because we're seeing that the savings rate is not where it needs to be in order to kind of weather any storm. So if we do see sudden shakeups, because initial jobs claims was, uh, you know, nothing too um, crazy, but if we see something, you know, we can see something around an increase of 30,000, 40,000 in a single week. And um, that that would be something that would leave a lot of consumers in a bad position because a lot of folks don't have the savings. The credit card is, you know, really, I won't say maxed out, but <laughs> getting there. Um, and maybe they're overextended with, you know, a, a house that they pulled forward because mm-hmm. they didn't want to get ahead of mortgages. Yeah, we're, we, we have yet to really recognize a lot of these things, which is what I guess is the concerning part yeah. of all this, is that there's still a lot of things happening uh, right now that we have yet to fully recognize. I mean, the, the interest rate increases, it takes nine to 12 months to fully, you know, work its way through the system, even though we did see some early uh, business side corrections. Uh, yeah, there's there's still a lot to go here. Um right. So let's go into the news uh, of the day, of the week, the stories that we find most relevant uh, for the freightonomics here as we work with through both of those situations. So uh, first article, uh, Rachel Premack. I love this article. This is, this is a question I get literally all the time is how is capacity growing, declining, et cetera? Like this is one of the hardest things to measure in trucking domestic transportation. Uh, she she actually kind of answers this question in this article, like our fleets are actually still expanding. Uh, mm-hmm. There's evidence that fleets are now expanding, even though we're in a, like it's, it's, like I said, widely known that the economy is, you know, starting to contract. And obviously the transportation sector has been, or the domestic truckload sector has been feeling this for months. Um, she goes in uh, and cites a lot of good data points here, but uh, she, she leads off with a story of a small operator trying to expand. He ordered 15 trucks this spring. So right at the edge of where we saw volume start to de- decline, but they didn't decline to the point where everybody was feeling it. So he puts in his orders and he said he might get seven of those sometime next year. So I, I guess the point here is that the order cycles, 
the decision cycle to make the order yeah. is so slow and drawn out, protracted, that we're still at this point seeing capacity growth because they ordered these trucks during the pandemic era with no end in sight. And it's like a 14.7 month order cycle. Uh, and they still, she even goes on to say, well, what about cancellations? Cancellations are minuscule as reported by ACT research. So um, largely due to the fact that capacity growth was self-limiting mm. during the pandemic. The manufacturers couldn't, the OEMs couldn't produce trucks. <laughs> uh, you didn't have access. The labor market was obviously extremely tight. So there, there were a lot of factors keeping these uh, fleets from growing. Yeah, and I think that's a big one. And what, what, were your, what were your thoughts around replacing aging equipment and things like that? Yeah, that's that's kind of what we're seeing is like we had, uh, you know, J.B. Hunt and Schneider both reported thousands of additional trucks. Now, we looked into J.B. Hunt's. A lot of those are leased on. Uh, they're not on the balance sheet specifically. But, yes, there's a lot of equipment ordering going on that replenishes those fleets. But it looks like they're still they're able to grow their fleets. And I know we talked about this a few weeks ago with Knight Swift. The consolidation is really what to watch out for here. It's. Uh, which actually supports increasing rates mm. when you consolidate competitive units within the space. So what we saw during the pandemic is a lot of people leaving large fleets, dispersion, more fra fragmentation uh, happening. So you have more competitive units bidding for the same goods. Well, there was a ton of goods to bid on <laughs> to move, so they still could bid higher. But now we're left with this wide dispersion of competitive units, which we should see start to defragment here in the coming months. And that's something that Night Swift was calling out uh, earlier in the year. Yeah, I think, um, of course, trying to get ahead of some of that um, while they can. And it's just interesting that those cancellations are just minuscule because I, I think, of course, it would probably be different depending on what your position is yeah. at the time, if you're large operation, mid-sized operation. Well, think about it. You're, you're, it's that, what's the, the cognitive bias there? You basically double down. Yeah and say, well, I made this decision. You're biased towards continuing with that decision saying, I'm all in now. It'll cost me too much money to pull out. Right. Just commit to it and go in. And that's what a lot of people do. And you don't, you know, we don't, we don't have a crystal ball. We have a lot of information, obviously, that makes it look like this is a pretty risky decision. But mm -hmm. there is still a lot of optimism around the large fleets out there that their their cycle is going to turn within the next six to, to nine months. We talked about it on the roundtable this morning on Freightways Now. Yeah, and I, was it uh, Derek Leathers that had the expectation, I think, and with some good, real, real good points around some tightening capacity happening, I think, in what, mid-2023? Yeah, yeah, which I thought was very uh, interesting. But um, <laughs> anyway, it, it looks like, and, and ACT uh, and Chris Visser at JD Power pointed out capacity is likely going to large fleets. It's not going to be that small fleet growth. So that's where is that's a little bit better mm -hmm. in terms of rates staying stickier uh, or able to not fall as much. It's still not great because it's still a lot of additional capacity into the market for at least if you're operating and looking for a getting top dollar for your uh, services. I think that's a great point. Uh, in our next news story, we have our very own Todd Maiden, Maiden talking about LTL carriers point to shrink and tonnage in November. Yeah, and, and this, is an, this is an extremely important uh, takeaway here because the LTL market has been super resilient. Yeah, uh, We talked about it. They actually have some tailwinds here. But 
I think I even wrote a chart of the week about it saying, not so fast, my friends. You're going to get a benefit of a lagged market indicator. You, normally, it's about six to nine months. We see it in our data uh, before the LTL space starts to feel that truckload uh, market. Now, tightening is a different story. They can feel it almost right away. <laughs> uh, it takes only a month or so before shippers start chopping up their truckloads and pushing them on that guaranteed LTL capacity. Uh, but on the, on the back end of things, it takes a while to transition some of that freight back in or out of the LTL space and uh, recognize it on the truckload market. So LTL, uh, uh, this, centers, this article centers around uh, Forward Air and Yellow, uh, Tom Schmidt and Darren Hawkins of Yellow CEOs, uh, having a discussion about what they're seeing. Now, as of the third quarter, they were all reporting positive year-over-year -year tonnage, which again, don't read too much into tonnage. I don't like tonnage as an absolute measure of volume and demand. It's very bad, especially in LTL, yeah. because freight mix matters infinitely more yeah. than weight. Uh, so it could just be that the type of freight that they're moving is heavier, which makes sense when you're talking about consumer goods, lighter, fluffier stuff, mattresses, mm -hmm. electronics, things like that, lighter, industrial manufacturing, raw materials, heavier. So they're probably getting... A combination of two things, industrial, more industrial centric raw material freight, uh, helping their tonnage actually last throughout the third quarter. <laughs> uh, but they're also now starting to see waning demand across all sectors, which you look at your index, the FOTRI, yeah. the flatbed indicator there, the flatbed tender rejection index, flatbed has had a lagged response, just like the LTL sector. Yeah. Uh, got a little bit tighter there after the truckload market died out, and now it's starting to finally feel it. And I think that this article does a good job of pointing out that they're seeing, uh, Yellow took a, uh, it looks like a 4% sequential decline uh, in tonnage in October. Yeah, I think you, you bring up a lot of good points, especially with that freight mix. I mean, mm -hmm. um, to your point, within those heavy industrial goods, when within manufacturing, looking at that segment, it's still expanding overall, mm -hmm. and um, there's still some runway there, mm -hmm. but we are seeing signs of easing. So when yeah. you look at the industrial production index, for, for example, the latest month showed that there was a downward movement of 0.1% for the month. Um, but we did see that overall, that was a lot from utilities and mining. Yeah. Um, that was that downward movement. Overall, manufacturing still increased 0.1%. The ISM PMI definitely showed that there was still I shouldn't say definitely. It was barely in <laughs> expansion mode, right? Just at right. Uh, 50, I think 50.8, 50.9 or somewhere about there. Um, so just in expansion. But we are starting to see some slowdown. So the new orders component and contraction around that 45 percentage point basis area. And so um, or 45 percentage point area showing that there is contraction uh, for new orders. So there is some slowing down, but there is that backlog that we're, I think, still working through. Yeah, the supply chain backlog. So that's also a contributing factor to what we talked about earlier. The capacity yeah. growth is because of the supply chain backlog, right. uh, you know, being what it is. So we're still playing catch up on the supply side of things, and it's, and it's slow. It's slower than the demand side, which is the, what we've seen in a lot of our data, is that the demand side is contracting faster than the supply curve right. <laughs> is growing. And it's, it, they've already met up, it looks like, with spot rates doing what they're doing. And of course, the NTIF that I showed you there, the forecast for the next 28 days looks pretty grim after Thanksgiving. Uh, but this article, I, I, this is right up your alley. And I really want to get your thoughts on this one. So uh, Joanna Marsh wrote this one, chemical shippers warn rail strike could hasten recession. So 
a lot of people don't understand that the rail strike, how, how big of a deal the potential of a rail strike is. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the container volumes that I showed you earlier with O-Rail on decline about 6% over the last uh, year. It, it's, it's about the raw materials. Those, they don't have another way to ship that stuff. Right. They don't have the infrastructure. You can't put it all on a barge. You can't put it all on uh, a bulk load carrier or a hopper. Uh, a lot of this stuff simply goes on the rail, and that's the only place that you can put it right now because we haven't built out the infrastructure around it. And uh, they actually said that if we go into a strike, 700,000 jobs could be lost across multiple industries uh, as well as cause a 4% spike in the PPI, the producer price index. So that upstream production cost, which of course would eventually lead into inflation. Mm -hmm. Give me your thoughts on this one here. This is, this is huge. Yeah, I think this is huge and, and very well founded. I mean, we're looking at all the impacts, like you said, there's um, stuff that can't, there's no alternative for how to move a lot mm -hmm. of these things, these are bulk goods um, in that downward movement. And the other big impact that I think is real critical here is that impact to PPI. Um, the producer price index, which has continued to continue stay or grow at a faster pace in the uh, consumer price index. So not all the costs were fully passed on. Some were passed on to intermediaries. Some hits were taken by the producers. Um, so this would be another inflationary hit and another thing that I think would really spur a lot of uh, recessionary pressures right. going into uh, 2023. So I think it's definitely spot on with a lot of the risk here. Um, and it just trickles into so many different parts of the, the economy that you might not expect it to. Yeah, chemicals are the backbone of a lot of our production, right. you know? And I think it's interesting to think about this because this is actually something that kept us from being even more overheated during the pandemic era, is the constriction of supply, constriction of capacity. That's what this rail strike represents, is restriction of the movement of goods uh, to their you know, production facilities. And this is exactly why we have runaway inflation mm -hmm. and not necessarily because of the rail strike or inability for the rail to move things, but because of all these upstream uh, constrictions that we had during the pandemic era. So to me, this is like kind of a lagged mini pandemic type mechanism that could cause us to further go into a recession, right? Yeah, it definitely <laughs> make things a lot more steeper than they yeah. would have been before. And I think um, when you're looking at this, it's definitely going to be one of those areas I think is going to be have long-term implications to how we look at um, employment, employee conditions, how we're going to go around uh, negotiations in the future at the rail. Um, I know unions have been kind of pushing back on getting some of the changes, especially the number of workers, what kind of technology is implemented, things like that. Um, really looking for, you know, pay, safety, all those other things, um, sick leave, things like that. Some of the basic necessities. Um, so I think, uh, you know, when you look at this situation, it, like you said, it definitely can lead into some deeping and some recessionary trends for sure. Yeah. Now, now, I want to pull things back a little bit because the likelihood of this happening, you know, talking to, you know, Mike Bowden-Distel in the past, uh, our rail expert, intermodal expert, it's it's not very likely that we would have that significant of a rail strike. Now they could do it for a, a few days, but they don't want to see a recession either because they lose they lose their ability to like. I think it's clear cut. They have leverage yeah. <laughs> uh, in this situation. And I think a lot of that is just simply like, hey, you guys have been making a ton of money <laughs> uh, for a long time. 
can give a little bit of that back. Um, and again, a lot of it's not about money. It's about work-life conditions, yeah. like you said. And this to me, like they don't really think this is going to manifest, but they're trying to make it well known that this is what it represents. Like this is a value. This is an extremely valuable job. You sh- the money should kind of line Reflect up like that. Um, but that's, that's to yet to be seen. They have until the cooling off period is until December 4th, uh, maybe extended to December 9th. Um, and of course, you guys covered on Freight Waves now all the time. Joanne has been on quite a bit lately. That's right. Yeah, she has been. Uh, I love having her on because she's always bringing the latest updates. And sometimes we get lucky because we have Joanna and uh, Mike Bondestel on in the same show so we can get um, back-to-back rail coverage. But um, one of the other big things that we had this week in the macroeconomic world was CPI uh, increased by 0.4% in a lot of people celebrated that number, which was right. a little like, bit strange. <laughs> yeah, um, it rose again and people were happy because it was the smallest increase that we've seen in quite some time. Um, so not that the building isn't on fire anymore. It's just right. that the, the, I think the window, you can look through it and like the flame just kind of eased off a little bit, but it's still very much burning. So it was a cost for celebration. Is the Fed going to slow down a little bit? Is this? I think Jerome Powell still sees the employment market as being overinflated. Do the comps get at least better here in the coming months? Are we starting to see something to where like inflation can't grow at this pace because of the comps? Yeah, the comps will start really starting to kick in, especially as we get into February February. and and March. Um, There will be some difficult comps, but that doesn't mean that it's gotten any better. Right. It's basic (laughs) math to me. It's like we're we're comparing it to a. Yes, it was slow Mm -hmm. to be recognized, but now we're recognized. I hope. I hope for all of our sakes that we. We recognize that I don't want to feel pain. No, no. no. I'm pain averse. But there will be pain, as <laughs> Jerry Powell said. So uh, we will be continuing to cover that. And this has been Fred Anonymous. We appreciate you guys tuning in to this show. We'll be back Are we no, next Thursday. Have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> Drink enough water. Yeah. Eat, your family. Eat plenty of turkey.